If you will join me in Bible study tonight, please open up your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah. Yermiahu, the Lord exalts. Chapter 2, verse 28. Jeremiah, the Lord exalts. Chapter 2, verse 28. Are we ready? God is in the middle of a stern lecture. We might call it a woodshed experience. Where he's telling the children of Israel that no other nation has ever turned away from the true and living God to turn to pagan idols. To throw away a God who blesses, who provides, who provides rains from the heaven, food from the earth, protection from your enemies, to worship sticks and stones. So verse 28, after saying, you say to a tree, you're my father, and to a stone you gave birth to me. For they have turned their back to me, not their face, but in the time of their trouble. They will say, arise and save us. Does anybody hear 9-11 in there? Mm -hmm. Before 9-11, could you say God in polite society? Oh no, not unless it was part of a curse. And then when the planes hit the Twin Towers, it was save us, Lord, save us. And then two weeks later, it was, but don't say God out loud. It, It would offend somebody. So verse 28, God says, but where are your gods that you have made for yourselves? Let them arise, if they can save you in the time of your trouble. For according to the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. Does that not break your heart? He says there's as many gods in Judah as there are cities in Judah. So let them arise and save you when trouble comes. How do you think that's going to work out? Not so well. This comes more than 100 years after Isaiah wrote, right? Let's turn back and remind ourselves what Isaiah had to say. Let's go back to chapter 44 first. Isaiah chapter 44. Starting in verse 6. God tries so hard to get through our hard heads and make us understand. Are we there? Isaiah 44, starting in verse 6. Thus says the Lord, there's those four Hebrew letters, yod heh vav the name that indicates I will be whom I will be. The king of Israel. We know, of course, it's referring to our Messiah, Yeshua, King of kings and Lord of lords, and his Redeemer. Is that the Lord's Redeemer? No, that's Israel's Redeemer. The word Redeemer means a near kinsman who has the ability and the willingness to redeem us, to pay the price to God that we cannot pay for ourselves. Then he says, the Lord of hosts, Adonai Zavaot which is the term used for Messiah leading the armies of heaven in Revelation 19.11. 
as they come to the earth to wreak vengeance on the people of the Satan. It says, I am the first and I am the last. Keep a finger here. Let's just remind ourselves. Let's go to Revelation 22. Revelation 22. People say, Wayne, you're crazy. That's not our Messiah Yeshua talking there. Look in Revelation 22, 13. Revelation chapter 22, verse 13. I am the Aleph and the Tav, or in Greek, the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, the first and the last. What color are these words? They're red. Messiah says, that verse is about me. I am the first and the last. So go back to Isaiah 44, verse 6. After saying, I am the first and I am the last, it says, besides me, there is no God. Ain't owed. There is no other. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me. He says, if there's someone else who claims that they can tell the end from the beginning like I do, let him lay it out. I'm listening. What do you hear? Crickets? Crickets. Since I appointed the ancient people all the way back to the Garden of Eden and the things that are coming and shall come, he says, I don't care. Let him tell me what happened 4,000 years ago. 2,000 years in the future. Lay it out there. Let them show these to them. Cricket, cricket, cricket. Nothing. Then verse 8 says, Do not fear nor be afraid. In other words, don't think there's not a God just because those sticks and stones didn't answer. No, don't be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? Where's the first mention of the gospel in the Bible? It's in Genesis chapter 3. Has God not told us the end from the beginning? He says, you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? He says, if there is, speak up. You who worship Moloch, what do you say? Crickets. You worship Baal, what do you say? Crickets. Indeed, there is no other rock, I know not one. No other rock referring to Messiah is the rock. He is the rock upon which the houses are built in Matthew chapter 7 that withstand the storm. All the other rocks people build on are grains of sand that provide no foundation. Verse 9 says, those who make an image, all of them are useless. And you go, is he talking about the images or those who make them? And the answer is yes. <laughs> and their precious things shall not profit. They are their own witnesses. They neither see nor know that they may be ashamed. That is the stone idols, the metal idols, the wooden idols. They don't see or know anything. So the idol can't be ashamed. What about those who make them and those who worship them? They can be ashamed. Verse 10 asks straight up, who would form a God or mold an image that profits him nothing? You know, it takes work to fashion an idol. Why do that to gain nothing? Is God being straightforward here? 
Verse 11, surely all his companions would be ashamed that as they make fun of them. And the workmen, they're mere men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up. Yet they shall fear, they shall be ashamed together. He says, bring all of your idols together and put them in a huge pile. Now what are they saying? Maybe one alone can't prophesy, but how about if you get them all together? Chirp, chirp, there go the crickets, nothing. Verse 10, the blacksmith with the tongs works one in the coals. That is one that they're making out of silver or gold, something metallic. Fashions it with hammers and works it with the strength of his arms. Why doesn't the idol do the hammering? Fashion itself. Remember the story of Abraham and his father, the village idol maker. Yeah. Even so, he is hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. Why doesn't the idol provide something for the man to eat or drink that's fashioning it? God's saying, would you think for a moment? The craftsman stretches out his rule. He marks out one with chalk. That is, he's going to make one out of wood. So he's got to make the marks with the chalk for the outline so that he can shape the wood. He fashions it with a plane. Not an airplane, of course. That's a woodworking tool. Where's Matthew? He knows what a plane is. He marks it out with the compass. What do you use compass for? To make round things. Most of the pagan idols that they make are female with nice round things. Why do they do stuff like that? I, I don't know. It makes it like the figure of a man or a person. According to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. What does he mean that it may remain in the house? Because it can't go anywhere. Is it going to go out to the field and bless the field? No, it's going to sit in the house till somebody carries it around. He cuts down cedars for himself. What's a cedar? A tree. It takes the cypress and the oak. That is, he takes wood that's useful for other things. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and the rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn. For he will take some of it and warm himself. So he cuts down a tree. Cuts part of it into pieces and makes a fire for himself to keep warm. Well, he... <laughs> Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread, so he's cooking over part of it. But while he's warming himself by the fire and cooking some bread over it for himself, he's fashioning the rest into a god. It says, indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it a carved image and falls down to it. Listening to what you're reading, uh -huh. to me, is like saying... They're making themselves. Yeah. They're worshiping themselves. Yeah. The wor they're worshiping the works of their own hands. If you've got to make a God, it's not much of a God, is it? Well, that depends on how much you think of yourself. <laughs> so verse 16 says, He burns half of it in the fire. With this half he eats meat. He <laughs> roasts the roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Oh, I'm warm. I've seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a God. Can you see how God is mocking them? Yes. Saying, do you see how stupid this is? The rest of it he makes into a God, his carved image. He falls down before it and worships it, prays to it and says, deliver me, for you are my God. Now let's go back to chapter 41 of Isaiah. 
Chapter 41, starting in verse 21. When God says, present your case, says the Lord in verse 21, that's like a legal proceeding. Chapter 41 of Isaiah, verse 21. It's a call of a legal case in a court. Present your case. Says the Lord, bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Who bring forth? The idols. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things what they were. Just tell us what happened a thousand years ago, 500 years ago, yesterday. That we may consider them and know the latter end of them. How are they going to turn out? Just ask the idols. How's it going to go? Or declare to us things to come. God says, I don't care. Tell us the end. Tell us the now. Tell us the future. Do you hear the crickets? Cricket, cricket, cricket. Show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that you are God's. Don't hear a word? I hear the hoot owls. Says, yes, do good or do evil. God says, I don't care if you do good or evil, just do something. What do they do? Nothing. That we may be dismayed and see it together. Indeed, you are nothing, talking about the idols and their makers. And your work is nothing. That's how you know it includes the makers and not just the idols. He who chooses you is an abomination. Do you ever want to be called an abomination by the Lord our God? No. No. So what is God trying to get across to the people? Why do you turn from the true and living God that brought ten plagues upon Egypt and brought you out of Egypt? When you repent at the the sea of reeds that the Bible erroneously calls the Red Sea. And God parted it so that we could go through on dry land and then drown the Egyptian army in it. Brought us into a wilderness, fed us with manna from heaven, water from the rock, defended us from our enemies, brought us into this beautiful land, gave us the land, drove out our enemies, and we make a God and say, look what this little God did for me. Let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 2. At this point in history, when Jeremiah is writing this, the children of Israel just didn't put idols in their homes. Oh no. They went up to the Temple Mount and carved creches in the walls of God's temple. The little indentation in the wall where you put a statue. Little cutout out of the wall. Yeah, exactly. Those are called creches. So they've gone into God's house, cut holes in the wall to put their pagan idols in so that they can worship them. And they turn their backs to God so that they can worship the idols. Oh, it's almost as... Well, never mind. Don't go there, Wayne. Okay. Jeremiah 2, verse 29. Why will you plead with me? You all have transgressed against me, says the Lord. 
Why will you plead with me? They're asking God for all kinds of benefits. Give us rain. Give us good crops. Give us protections. But other than that, stay out of my life. Don't want to hear from you. Don't want to worship you. Don't want to bless you. Don't want to know. Don't want to follow you. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 28 verse 9. Because verse 29 says, Why will you plead with me? You all have transgressed against me, says the Lord. So they refuse to follow God's commandments. Go back to Proverbs 28, 9. Proverbs 28, 9. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9. Proverbs 28, verse 9. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, the Torah, the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God, even his prayer is an abomination. So God says, you turn away from me, you turn to idols, you won't follow my commandments, statutes, and judgments, and yet you keep pleading with me to bless you. Does that sound at all like Matthew chapter 15? Go to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Verse 7. Before you do that. Verse, Before I do that. The verse in Proverbs 28.9. Proverbs 28.9. It's, it's very serious. It is. And almost every Christian denomination in the world. Yeah. Turns away its ear from hearing the law. Right. They say it doesn't apply. I'm under the new covenant. Right. So it's like for a long time, I mean, dating way back in history, um, we, we've actually been trained to turn our ear away in Proverbs. Yes. There actually, for a warning or a traffic sign for us, don't do that. Right. In fact, we are taught that it is wrong to keep the law. Yeah. That it's forbidden. Of course, we didn't turn to the book of John, which we could have. It's in the New Testament too. So it is food for thought, isn't it? It is pretty serious. Let's add in Matthew 15. It is very serious. Verse 7. We'll start there. Hypocrites. He's talking about the scribes and Pharisees. Who have set aside God's commandments and given their own for people to follow. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying. What's that word saying? It's a quote. These people draw near to me with their mouth. What does that mean? They talk out of the side of their mouth. They, talk, they claim that I am their God. They claim that they are my people. They claim that they're saved. They claim they're on the way to heaven. And honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What does it mean, and in vain they worship me? Does that mean this is an alternate route to heaven? No, no. It absolutely does not. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So the scribes and Pharisees, they set aside God's commandments and they issued their own. What did the 
Catholic Church do in the 4th century? They set aside God's commandments and made their own. And if you read the Baltimore Catechism from the 1800s, it says, how do we know that the Pope has the authority to change God's law and bind men to it? The answer, because even the Protestants obey him. That's their answer. That's their answer. What is sin? Go to 1 John 3, 4. You guys all know, but let's go look. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Transgression of the law. Anomia. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Sin is breaking God's commandments. Let's go back to the book of John. Book of John. Chapter 9, verse 31. It is the New Testament equivalent of Proverbs 28.9. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. Sinners being those that turn their ear away from hearing the law. So what is the Old Testament basis upon which they make this statement? Is Proverbs 28 verse 9. But if anyone is a worshiper of God, notice the one who turns away his ear from hearing the law is not the worshiper of God. And does his will, he hears him. So that principle established in Proverbs 28.9 is the same in the Old Testament and in the New how many scriptures could I turn to that say, if you love me, keep my commandments. And if you don't keep my commandments, it's because you don't love me. And if you say you know me, but you don't keep my commandments, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. How many of those scriptures are there? A lot. A lot. So what do you do then? In your, you're in the Protestant denominations. You say, yeah, okay, but Paul didn't write those. So we can ignore those. Yes, Bill. Uh, there's that scripture reference. I don't know the address. In the New Testament, where the disciples had gone out, you know, healing and all, and, yeah. and come back, and then there's a, another part that says, and there are some who are not of our group who are preaching in your name. Should we forbid them? And he said, no, because... If they're not against us, who is is not against me is with me. So if they're teaching the principles of God, he says, let them preach. If they're preaching the whole. But you know, I've looked around. I'm not going to say I dissected every church or whatever. But in each one of them, there's a little bit of truth that they have of built an entire religion on. But now if we could take them all 
and put them together with all their itty bitty truths, they'd be right here with us. <laughs> well, they're welcome to come. We got plenty of room. So let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 2. I'm not here to denigrate any church, any denomination. They're welcome to teach whatever they want, but Judgment Day is coming. And the scripture does say that the teachers are going to be held to a higher standard. So I would rather teach the word of God than man-made doctrine. So verse 30, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 30. In vain I have chastened your children. What does it mean to chasten? To correct. He has allowed armies to come in and attack. He's allowed the crops to be less full. He's brought prophets to preach repentance. He has tried and tried to get the children of Israel to repent. And what does it say? It's been in vain. Why? They received no correction. They say, we're perfect. We're God's children. We're the children of Abraham. When we die, we go to heaven. Don't give us any of this repentant stuff. Huh. And that's the problem that Jeremiah has to face. Is he's preaching to a group of people that believe they're already saved. That they don't need his message. certainly applies today. It does, in fact. They receive no correction. Your sword has devoured your prophets. That's not the enemy's sword. That's your sword. Remember, Jeremiah writes after Isaiah, how is Isaiah killed? They put him in a log and sawed the log in half. Manasseh did that. Why did they kill all the prophets? Because the prophets preached repentance and they didn't want to hear it. Keep a finger here. Go to Matthew chapter 23. Let's read the Lord's own words in red. Matthew 23, verse 37. Remember the Marty Getz song. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, hen gathers her chicks on her wings, but you were not willing. You can see tears streaming down the Lord's face if you try. As he says, I have sent prophet after prophet after prophet. And the more I send, the more you kill. Because you don't want to hear the message of repentance. So how should you and I react today to a teaching on repentance? Repent. Let's repent. Don't kill the messenger. It said your sword has devoured your prophets like a destroying lion. What happened to the northern kingdom by this point? They're gone. They went into the Assyrian captivity and they haven't come back yet today. Jeremiah is going to tell us they are going to come back one day, but what do they have to do first? Repent. Repent. Why has it been 2,700 years? What have they not done yet? Repent. Why? Because they don't think they need to repent. They like their sin. 
They want to continue in their sin. Can we continue in our sin? Yes, we can. And the end result is the lake of fire. All the way back in Deuteronomy 30, God said, I said before you today, life and death. Pick one. They refuse to repent. Verse 31. O generation, see the word of the Lord. What's he mean by that? Did God have Moses write the Torah in books? For us to read and to hear and to listen and to study? Yes, God sent the word. Why? So that we would understand what it means to be righteous. What it means to be holy. What it means to be a child of the true and living God. He says, have I been a wilderness to Israel or a land of darkness? Did he fail to speak? Did he fail to tell us what he wants? How many of you ever enrolled in a college class and said, I'm not going to read the book or go to class. I'm just going to come take the final exam. <laughs> in any hands out there? Not me either. In fact, that's a nightmare, isn't it? Well, yes, Bill. See the word of the Lord also be considered like God's miracles that he has done, the provision that he provided in the wilderness. And he put it all in the book for them to read and, about. And he did it, and you know that's supposed to be told down through the generation, family to family, father yep. to son, daughter, and uh, also, you know, that's his word because he promised it came to pass. Yeah. And so there's another type of seed. Yeah. You know, everything he's promised to do, he's done. Wait. Everything. Now, how often was Deuteronomy read? Every seven, years Every seven years at the Feast of Tabernacles. That doesn't mean that people couldn't read it in between. Right. But that was the point where everybody had to hear it. Jew, Gentile, didn't make any difference. But I thought to myself, every seven years, that book is read. Yep, in its entirety. In the hearing. Of the fathers and the mothers. Yep. And they were supposed to mimic what they just heard by retelling it to their children. Right. Day in and day out. We should do that with our grandchildren, our children, driving down the road, telling them about God, Amen. playing Amen. the right music on the Amen. radio, Amen. Uh, you know, teaching them why you don't do this, yep. or why you shouldn't say things like this, but yet we have got so numb to the culture that we no longer step up and correct it. Mm -hmm. It's just accepted. Like they use a word, friggin'. I don't think so. Out of my grandchildren's mouth, I would they literally know that I would slap them stupid if they weren't already there. Figuratively speaking, I am sure. But no, I'm not. <laughs> okay. Well let's keep going. Verse thirty one. Oh generation, see the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness to Israel or a land of darkness? Why do my people say we are lords? We will come no more to you. So God's saying, have I failed to provide? Have I failed to provide the word of God? No. Have I failed to provide the miracles? No, I did them. 
If I fail to provide the crops, the increase, etc., etc., no, God's done all that. But yet Israel says, we don't need God. We do it all ourselves. That's why we can go give credit to our idols, because we did it ourselves. The northern king of Israel, when the crops would come in, they'd go take an offering to Baal and Ishtar and say, thank you for doing this for us. And God finally said, I'm going to stop then. How did it go after that? It didn't rain for how long? Seven years. Yes, Malini. Yes, absolutely. Verse 32. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Who's he referring to as a virgin bride here? The children of Israel who pledged themselves at Mount Sinai. They were betrothed to God. In Exodus chapter 19, they betrothed themselves to God. It says, yet yeah, my people have forgotten me days without number. As I've read this, I'm going farther along than what we're studying right now, my heart has broke since the beginning of reading this book and looking at what you just said, that this was his, his patrol. This was the one who said, I love you above all other. Yes. And there is no other. Right. And then moments in time have gone by and they've already forgot who he is. Yep. Now look at this, verse 32. Get it in your mind and go to Revelation 19. Revelation 19. Not verse 11 where Messiah returns for Armageddon, but chapter 19, verse 6 which describes the bride. Revelation chapter 19, we're going to look at verses 6 through 8. If I get going too fast, just slow me down. Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 8. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia! Is that a Greek word? Oh. No, that's a Hebrew word transliterated through Greek to English. It's hallelujah. Hallelujah means praise, and Yah is the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Remember, the betrothal began in Exodus chapter 19 at Mount Sinai. But the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife, that is his bride, has made herself ready. And to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Is God looking for a bride in soiled, dirty attire? No. His bride has made herself ready to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. How'd she make herself ready through repentance, eh? 
and keeping of the Torah because of faith and love. Notice it uses the word of the saints. And turn back to Revelation 14, 12. What is a saint? It's used over 60 times in the New Testament. It's the most common term for the believers. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. Where are you from? Revelation 14, verse 12. Does anybody see an or who keep the commandments of God or the faith of Yeshua? No. There's a reason. It's an and. Revelation 14, verse 12. Back to Jeremiah. Let's see if we can catch up to Pat. Since she's ahead of us. Verse 33. Why do you beautify your way to seek love? That's talking about seeking love from the pagan world. Israel wants to reject God and embrace the idols because that's what the rest of the world does. They don't want to be different. They want to be like the Gentile world. What did Paul say in Ephesians 4.17? Let's turn up to Ephesians 4.17. Did he say, once you get saved, live like the rest of the Gentiles? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Yep. Ephesians 4.17. Got it. For this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. In the, it's actually perverseness of their mind. Well, if we're not supposed to walk like the rest of the Gentile world once we get saved, how are we supposed to walk? Look at verse 22. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in what? True righteousness and holiness. Does God call us to be like the world or to be separate from the world? Be separate, come out from among them. What's that? Perverseness. Yeah, remember when God says the thought of every man's heart was wicked continually? Yeah. So back to Jeremiah 2.33. Why do you beautify your way to seek love? Therefore you've also taught the wicked women your ways. That's not translated the best. What it means is, why have you learned the way of the prostitutes? And gone to seek your lovers out in the pagan world when you're betrothed to the true and living God. Keep a finger here and go to the book of James, chapter 4. James, chapter 4. James, chapter 4.
Found it. Verse 4. Some of you haven't found it yet. I had a hard time. It's, it's just a couple of pages and they stick together. James chapter 4, verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses. Talking about people who engage in idolatry. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? There's that word enmity we were talking about for service. Hatred that separates. If you are friends with the world, you are at odds with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you really want to walk in the sins of this world? And be an enemy of God? We're in Isaiah chapter 66 verse 14. Does it talk about the difference between a servant of God or his enemy? Isaiah 66, 14. Isaiah is right before Jeremiah. Isaiah 66, verse 14. Just the second half of the verse. The hand of the Lord, that's his protection and his benefit, shall be known to his servants and his indignation to his enemies. The word indignation means the wrath of God being poured out. So put those two scriptures together. And if you make yourself a friend of the world, what's coming for you? The hand of the Lord or his wrath? His wrath. Yep, turn the page. Back to Jeremiah chapter 2. Verse 34. Also on your skirts is found the blood of the lives of the poor innocents. I have not found it by secret searching, but plainly on these things. God said, I didn't have to go looking for it. They wear the blood of the innocents as a badge of pride and honor. Does it sound like abortion in America today? There was just in the news today a university student who was complaining because she just learned that Part of the required fee she had to pay to the university went straight to Planned Parenthood. That every student they take from their fees that they're required to pay and give them to Planned Parenthood. The United States ships millions of dollars around the world to make sure that every nation requires abortion on demand. Does God have to look and, and search for it in America? No, we wear it on the skirts as a badge of honor. How does God reply to the shedding of innocent blood? Go back to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 24. Verses 3 to 4. Talking about the time that Jerusalem gets taken captive by Babylon. 
which is what Jeremiah is preaching repentance to prevent. So despite all of his preaching, here we have 2 Kings 24, verses 3 to 4. God bless you. It says, Surely at the commandment of the Lord, this, that is the captivity, came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done. And also because of the innocent blood that he had shed. For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. God called him to repentance. He refused. He was proud of the shedding of innocent blood. And now come judgment day, he's going to stand before the Lord and say, well, can't you just forgive it? Scripture says, which the Lord would not pardon. Go to Psalm 94. Psalm 94. God bless you, dear. Psalm 94, verse 21. I'll start in verse 20 for context. Shall the throne of iniquity, iniquity means lawlessness, which devises evil by law, that is, it commands the people to commit sin, have fellowship with you? They gather together against the life of the righteous and condemn innocent blood. How does Psalm 94 begin? O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs. Why does vengeance belong to the Lord here? Because of all the innocent blood being shed. Psalm 106. Psalm 106. Psalm 106. We'll start in verse 34. What had God commanded Israel to do when they came into the promised land? To do to the idol-worshipping pagans that were in the land? Get them all out. Get them all out. Verse 34. They did not destroy the peoples, that is, they intermingled, concerning whom the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. They were defiled by their own works. That word defiled doesn't carry the meaning that I would like you to understand. The Hebrew word is tameh. It's the word in Leviticus 11 for that which is unclean. So they make themselves unclean and therefore abominable before the Lord. <coughs> By following the ways of the pagans, including shedding the innocent blood of their children. How about Proverbs chapter 6? What did Solomon have to say? 
Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning at verse 16 and going through 19. These six things the Lord hates. How's this for a list of things never to do? Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. In other words, pride and arrogance. A lying tongue. What is the New Testament saying? Revelation about all liars? Yep, they have their place in like a fire. Hands that shed innocent blood. Remember, this is Solomon who later, to satisfy his pagan wives, sacrificed his own sons and daughters to the pagan gods. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift in running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among brethren. Are we not doing that here in the United States where all the parents have to work all the time so they never know what their children know? They don't know what they're being seen. They're being sacrificed on the altar of greed. Give me, give me, give me more, more, more. And they're sacrificing their children. Yep. That's why they're so far away from God. Nobody is slowing down. Right. Isaiah chapter 59. Is that the way it was a hundred years ago? No. It's a sign of the times. Isaiah 59. Verse 7. This is before Jeremiah's Ministry. Isaiah 59, verse 7. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, meaning lawlessness. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. When it comes to evil, we should run. But we should run away from evil, not to evil. We should run away from shedding of innocent blood, not hastening to it. Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3, right after Hosea. Joel chapter 3. Now somebody will send me an email saying, no, it's right after Joel chapter 2. So let me, <laughs> let me just say, yes, I realize that. Okay. Joel chapter 3, verse 19. Egypt shall be a desolation, and Edom a desolate wilderness, because of violence against the people of Judah. For they have shed innocent blood in their land. Why did I want to turn here? Because it's not just Israel. Egypt and Edom are going to come under God's judgment and be a desolation. Why? Because they shed innocent blood in their land. 
So is there any place where it's okay to go shed innocent blood? The answer is no, it is not. Let's go to Matthew chapter 27. Surely in the New Testament it's okay. Uh, no, it's not actually. Matthew 27. Matthew chapter 27. I want to start at verse 1 so you get the context. Judas Iscariot betrayed Messiah with a kiss in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, I actually have people who say, well, he's going to be in heaven, right? Because he was just doing what God wanted. The answer is no, he's not going to be in heaven. Messiah says there's a special place set aside for him. But verse 1 says, When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Yeshua to put him to death. When they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. You would think the chief priests and elders would say, oh no, oh no, shedding of innocent blood, but what do they say? What is that to us? You see to it. Meaning we couldn't care less that you've brought about the shedding of innocent blood. You think they're going to be reminded of those words come judgment day? Let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 2. We're up to verse 35. The Lord's just told them about all their idolatry. Their sinfulness. The shedding of innocent blood. And look at verse 35. Yet you say, because I am innocent... Surely his anger shall turn from me. Behold, I will plead my case against you because you say I have not sinned. He points out their idolatry, their immorality, the shedding of innocent blood, and they say, Yeah, I'm innocent. Why? Why do they believe that? Because while there are a few true prophets of God, there are hundreds of false prophets that are telling the people, don't listen to Jeremiah and those idiots. You are clean and innocent before the Lord God. You have nothing to fear from God. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 31 for just a moment. I know we'll eventually get there for real. But Jeremiah 5, verse 31. The prophets prophesy falsely. And the priests rule by their own power. Not by the word of God. Not by the Torah. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? So the false prophets. Go to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2 
I have so many people that say, Wayne, okay, the, the priests and the pastors have taught the people wrong. So God won't hold the people responsible, right? Have you read Jeremiah? Does God hold just the false prophets accountable? No. Who dies in Jerusalem by the time this all comes to a conclusion? Every single living person. Second Peter chapter 2, let's start in verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. What's the old expression? Forewarned is forearmed, but who needs forearms? We all do. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. What's a heresy? Is it a true doctrine? It's a false doctrine. Even denying the Lord who bought them. And bring on themselves swift destruction. Let's just pick out one destructive heresy. Transubstantiation. Catholic Church teaches it. Lutheran Church teaches it. And they're not the only ones. Transubstantiation says, at the Last Supper, before his crucifixion, Messiah gave human flesh and human blood to his apostles to eat and drink. And that... Therefore, when you go to church today and take communion, that it becomes through some miraculous process, human flesh and human blood, that God wants you to eat and drink. If Messiah gave his apostles human flesh to eat and human blood to drink before his crucifixion, why did he die as? A sinner. And his death would accomplish nothing. That's a destructive heresy that denies the Lord who bought them. It's not the only one, but it's, it's from Satan, you betcha. Replacement theology. Replacement theology. There's many. How about that Messiah was crucified on Good Friday and raised on Easter Sunday morning? You don't know how many years I spent trying to get three days out of that. It just it's just not there. <laughs> but because Messiah prophesied he'd be in the grave three days and three nights... What they're teaching people who understand the scriptures is that Yeshua is a false prophet and not the Messiah. He said he'd be in a grave three days and three nights. You can't get three nights between Friday and Sunday, no matter how you slice it. Friday night, Saturday night, that's two. That's not three. So it teaches what? That Messiah is not Yeshua. Yeah. Verse 2. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. What's the way of truth? It's the Torah. That's Psalm 119, verse 142. Keep a finger here. Psalm 119, verse 142. Psalm 119, verse 142. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. Is it ever going to change? No. And your Torah, your law, is truth. So let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 2. So there are going to be false teachers saying that the law does not apply. 
It's been abolished or it's been fulfilled and gone away. It's a lie. It's a lie. The, 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 the preacher is lying to the, the congregation. Whether they know it or not. The preacher may or may not know, but they're not teaching the word of God. Um, keep a finger in Second Peter and turn back to Romans three thirty one. How many preachers do you think, if you ask, does our faith make void the law? How many would say yes? And yet, what does Romans three thirty one say? Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Back to 2 Peter chapter 2. Verse 2, And many will follow their destructive ways. Does that mean on the path to heaven? No. Because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Why? By covetousness. They will exploit you with deceptive words. Covetousness means they want something from you. Yeah, not just money, but how do you get promoted up through some churches like some Baptist denominations? You get promoted up by the, how much did you increase your attendance last year? How much did you increase the offering? Well, then you get promoted up to a bigger church with a bigger office and a bigger house and a bigger car and a bigger jet. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. What does deceptive mean? They're not true. They may know that. They may or may not know that. That's that's hard for me. You know, just talking about looking at myself to swallow that. Well, no. So many of us people, we we were like dumb sheep. Yeah. And we thought, well, because they have this quote-unquote pastor or whatever title on them, that surely they knew more than we did. Mm -hmm. See, I always got in trouble because I always challenged them. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, yeah. that's how so many people are out here. They, they just believe because they have that title or whatever yeah. that they know and half of them don't know any better than the congregation right does. there are churches out there where the pastor has no theological education or training and even if you go to seminary very little of it is actual bible yeah you don't learn bible in seminary for the most part the at least not the ones i've gone to why do they some of these baptist or baptocostal churches so declare that you have to go to this or you cannot be a pastor because they want you so indoctrinated like them. So exactly. They, they teach doctrine at seminary. Okay. okay. But we don't want to badmouth anybody. Verse 3. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction is not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of... Righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an what? Example to those who afterward would live ungodly, meaning a warning. Is living a godless, immoral lifestyle acceptable to God? No. 
So why do so many churches today say if you do not support and encourage the LGBTQ movement, you're the bad person? Mm -hmm. Or all the other alphabets behind you. Verse 7, and delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. That's the way a righteous person should react, is it should hurt. It should torment you to see the sin going on around you. Uh, that's enough of this one. Let's look at 1 John chapter 4. There's so many warnings in the New Testament about beware of the false teachers because they're coming. They were actually there at that time. Yeah. But you know what's interesting is some people would say that, that, that we were involved in, quote, false teaching. Yes. You know, that, 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 that phrase, false teaching, gets thrown around quite a bit, I think. I have been called the head of the synagogue of Satan. Wow. Yes, I have. Oh, Wayne, you're teaching your people to follow God's commandments. You're leading them to hell. Really? Okay. Let's look at the scripture. No, I don't want to look at the scriptures. <laughs> okay. First John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And, of course, Matthew 7 itself. Messiah himself warned about the false teachers. Matthew chapter 7. Verses 13 and 14 warn about watch which path you're on. Verse 13 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. This is all part of the Sermon on the Mount that began in Matthew chapter 5. So the next verse, verse 15, is not a new teaching. It's not a new topic. It's why so many people think they're on the road to heaven when they're not. Beware of false prophets. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. How can you tell a true teacher from a false teacher? Verse 16, you know them by their fruits. But what does that mean? Do they keep the commandments of God no. and teach others? Or do they break the commandments of God and teach others? Remember, it's the same Sermon on the Mount that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, said, Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So which is the true teacher? So the false teachers aren't necessarily going you got to read the next verse. Okay. <laughs> For I say to you, it's not a new topic. It's helping to explain what he just said. Okay. 
For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. What's wrong with the scribes and the Pharisees? That was Matthew 15 we looked at a few minutes ago. What is their doctrine based upon? Man-made rules and regulations, not the commandments of God. All right, back to Jeremiah. I don't want to get preachy. Jeremiah chapter 2. Verse 36. Why do you gad about? Oh, goodness. Who speaks ancient English? What's it mean to gad about? Run to and fro here and there, meaning chasing after whatever idols and sin you can find. That used to be a, a term used, you know, towards someone who was not very trustworthy. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I used to hear it as a child. Yeah. You old gad about, get out of here. Yeah. You know, not directed toward me, but to other people. Yeah. <laughs> was not used for righteous people uh, walking yeah. upright in the paths of well, God. Well, I ain't saying that I okay. was, you know... Verse 36, why do you get about so much to change your way? Also you shall be ashamed of Egypt as you were ashamed of Assyria. Meaning, why do you want to be like these other nations? They're not serving God. They're not going to defend you when the time comes. They're not going to be any benefit to you. They're taking your tribute, and then when you need them, they're going to say, sorry, can't help. It's like Israel relying upon the United States today. We're going to let them down. Well, history has, God's word must be completed. Yeah. If you want to know the picture of the United States in the scripture, the picture is Egypt. We are Egypt. The one that Israel relies upon and lets them down every time. Charlie Brown in the football. Yep. So verse 36, let's go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 28 and see what God means. Second Chronicles chapter 28, starting in verse 16. Second Chronicles chapter 28, verses 16 to 21. At the same time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria to help him. For against the Edomites, for again the Edomites had come, attacked Judah, and carried away captives. So instead of repenting and turning to God, they say, nah, we'll just go hire somebody else to defend him. We'll go to Assyria, our good friends. The Philistines also had invaded the cities of the lowland and of the south of Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh, Ajalon, Gederot, Seho, and its villages, Timnah and its villages, and Gimso with its villages, and they dwelt there. For the Lord had brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel. For he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. Also, Tiglat Pileser, king of Assyria, came to him and distressed him and did not assist him. 
For Ahaz took part, God bless you, of the treasures from the house of the Lord, from the house of the king, and from the leaders. And he gave it to the king of Assyria, but he did not help him. So God called him to repent. He says, no, I don't need to repent. I don't need your help. I'm going to go hire these mercenaries to help me. And when the attacks come, they go, hey, got your gold. Don't need, don't need to come in there and be part of your resolution. Egypt did the same thing. So let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 2. Verse 37, indeed, you will go forth from him with your hands on your head. Why are they putting their hands on their head? They're prisoners. They didn't get any help at all. For the Lord has rejected your trusted allies, and you will not prosper by them. Chapter 3, verse 1. They say, if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him, and becomes another man's. May he return to her again. Would not that land be greatly polluted? But you have played the harlot with many lovers. Yet return to me, says the Lord. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 24 and see what he's talking about. Right out of the Torah. Deuteronomy 24 verses 1 to 4. Yep. That they not only have a physical, but they also have a spiritual side. Of course. To them, and right here it is, where it's both, but it's you know it's both sides of it. Yep. And yet we refuse to look at it that way. Yep. Deuteronomy twenty-four one to four. When a man takes a wife and marries her, it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce. We call that a get, G-E-T, a get. Puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. When she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as his wife, then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So you can't do that in a marriage between a real human being and his real human being wife. Uh huh. Say, I was, which I, well, I am a divorced woman. Okay. And that I am, I have remarried. I am supposed to be a part of their organization. I would have to divorce the husband that I am now with and go back to my first husband. Even though I had biblical grounds for it, to divorce him, yep. they require that you, I don't care if it's 10 husbands down the road or 10 wives, you're supposed to go back to your first. And that but violates the commandments of God. Yep. So, even though it applies between a human man and his wife, God says, look at the way you're treating me. You wouldn't do this to a mortal man, 
and yet you're doing it to me, God. So he says, you have turned from me and gone not to another little g God. Remember he said, if they're like the numbers of cities. They've got them in the houses. They've got them in the city squares. They've got them in the synagogues. They've got them in the temple. Lord says, how dare you treat me that way? Right. Number two, lift up your eyes to the desolate heights. What does it mean, the desolate heights? What was up on all the high places? The pagan idols, yeah. Where have you not lain? And it says with men, but the with men is in italics. It's not really there. He's talking about the idols. There's idols on every high place. By the road you have sat for them. Keep a finger here and go back to Genesis 38. What women would sit by the roadsides? Let's go back to Genesis 38 verse 11. The story of Judah and Tamar. Genesis chapter 38, verse 11. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. For he said, Lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. Now in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted. And went up to his sheep shears at Timna, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Look, your father-in-law is going up to Timna to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in an open place, which was on the way to Timna. For she saw that Shelah was grown, and she was not given to him as a wife. When Judas saw her, he thought she was a harlot, because she's sitting by the road with her face covered with a veil. It says, because she covered her face. Then he turned to her by the way and said, Please let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, What will you give me that you may come in to me? So the woman sitting by the side of the road with the veil so her face is covered, they understood as a prostitute. That's what the Lord refers to back over here in Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 2 by the road you have sat for them like an Arabian in the wilderness and you have polluted the land with your harlotries and your wickedness. Does polluting the land have consequences? All sin has consequences. Polluting the land means you're not going to get to stay there much longer. Verse 3, therefore the showers have been withheld. So what, they have to take baths? No, that's not the showers. It means the rain has been withheld. Why would God withhold rain? What's that a sign of? Judgment, prophecy, calling people to repentance. There's been no latter rain. Oh my goodness. See that phrase, latter rain? 
that's got more than one meaning. It says, you have had a harlot's forehead, which means what? Tattoo. <laughs> no, it means no shame. No shame. You refuse to be ashamed. Now let's talk about that latter rain. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11. In Israel, the rain tends to fall only at specific times in the year. There's the early rains and the latter rains. No. If it rains in the wrong season, it destroys crops. The rain must be in its right seasons. So Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine, and your oil. What if you have the early rain but not the latter rain? What happens to the fruit on the vine? It withers and dies. Let's go to Hosea chapter 6. Like there is an early rain and a latter rain, God uses those terms to refer to the first and second coming of Messiah. Did Messiah come the first time? Yes, he did. Will he come the second time? He will, if what? If Israel repents. Oh no, they're going to repent. We've read the book. Hosea chapter 6. We'll start in verse 1 and go all the way through verse 3. Hosea chapter 6. Hosea 5 ends with the Roman diaspora, the captivity of Israel dispersed throughout the world. Chapter 6, verse 1 says, Come, let us return to the Lord. That's the call to repentance. And it says they will during the Za'am, during the day of the Lord, the tribulation period. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. What is the knowledge of the Lord? That's the Torah. Hosea chapter 4. His going forth is established as the morning. Meaning it's as sure as the sun will come up tomorrow. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. So the latter rain in Deuteronomy chapter 11 required the people to repent and be faithful. And during the tribulation period, the children of Israel will repent and turn to God. And in Matthew 23, 37, what did Messiah say? You'll see me no more till you say, Baruch Hababa Shem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
So he said, I'm not returning until you repent. God bless you. Hosea 5.15 says they will repent during the day of the Lord, during the tribulation period. And then he will return. And even though somebody may say, well, then he's never going to return. The scripture says, oh, yes, he is. This is also with Joel, the book of Joel, chapter 2. When you're in Hosea, you're real close to Joel. Just turn a few pages. Joel, chapter 2, also tells us that the first and second coming of Messiah are like the early and the latter rains. Joel, chapter 2, verse 23. Be glad then, you children of Zion, which is prophetic Jerusalem, when Messiah returns. And rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former reign faithfully. That was the first coming of Messiah. What does he mean faithfully? He died at 3 o'clock on the 14th day of the first month, just as God said. Was buried right at the start of unleavened bread and raised at first fruits, just as God said. And he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain, in the first month. That's a problem. <laughs> if the first coming was in the first month of the year, and that's in the spring, how can the second coming be in the first month of the year and it be in the fall? There's two calendars. That's exactly right. So which calendar will this be? Verse 24, the threshing floor shall be full of wheat. Oh, that's the fall. So the second coming is in the month of Tishri, in the fall. The threshing floor shall be full of wheat, and the vat shall overflow with new wine and oil. That's the fall harvest. Civil year, right? Yes, civil year. Civil calendar. Civil calendar. Yep, Really? Let's go to Zechariah chapter 10. Isn't the civil calendar the one that's used for business and accounting and keeping... And the reign of kings and all that kind of stuff, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You know how we usually have one thing on go to meeting today? I'm sorry? You know how we usually have questions or something on there? We've not had one. Well, we have one. Oh, okay. We've had one. Oh, okay. I just didn't tell you about it. Oh, all right. Could be it's not working. I don't know. Zechariah chapter 10. Verse 1. Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. The title in my Bible at the column that that verse is in is the coming king. And that's what this last part of Zechariah is about, is the second coming of the Lord. And it begins, chapter 10, verse 1, Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. That's the same as Matthew 23. Let the children of Israel cry out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the book of James, chapter 5, the New Testament, the book of James. Honestly, I just giggle when people say, Wayne, if you just read the New Testament, you'd see that. James, chapter 5, verse 7. 
James chapter 5, verse 7. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. Notice how in the one verse, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord, and how it completes with the discussion of the early and latter rain. Some of you are still going, nope, don't see it, but yeah, you do. Okay, back to Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 4. Will you not from this time cry to me, my father, what's that? Will you not from this time cry to me, my father, you are the guide of my youth. This is the Lord asking Israel to repent, to turn back to me, to call me Father. What does the scripture say in Malachi? Let's go up to Malachi. To where the Lord said our prayer was our Father who art in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Who taught us to pray that? Yeshua our Messiah did. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father. You're not there yet. Say, wow, wow, wow. Okay. I apologize. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father. And a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? What does the word master mean? It means Lord. If you call me Lord, where's my reverence? Does that remind you of Luke chapter 6 verse 46? Let's find out. Turn to Luke chapter 6 verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? What tended to happen to servants who said to the master, No, I ain't doing it. You can't make me. They would make them. They would make them, that's right. And they wouldn't like the methods. Okay. So back to Jeremiah 3, verse 4. God is calling Judah to repent. Not the northern king of Israel. Because they're gone. They're in captivity. But Judah. Verse 5. Will he remain angry forever? Will he keep it to the end? Behold, you have spoken and done evil things as you were able. So when Israel asks, will he remain angry forever? The Lord reminds them, you have done so much evil. Where's the repentance? I didn't hear you. No. There's the crickets again. Cricket, cricket, cricket. So if they want God to be father, if they want God to be deliverer, if they want God to be their protector, 
They've got to repent and return to him. They don't. They want a genie in a bottle. But unfortunately, that's only on TV. <laughs> no, it's here today. They call on God only when they need something right now, and then tomorrow they forget about it. Yeah. So we've run out of time for today. We will pick up in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6, next Friday night.